This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Coming up, we've got all the news and views from Manchester City's week. Get involved with the debate by tweeting at Blue Moon Podcast and check out exclusive interviews on bluemoonpodcast.com. It's your club and this is your show. Well, two months ago, City were 10 points off the top of the Premier League table. After last weekend's matches, Pep Guardiola's side are now leading the way on level games for the first time since the 4th of December. It's amazing the difference a couple of months can make, and long grass and windy conditions as well. On this week's Blue Moon podcast, we'll be looking at how Riyad Mahrez's wrong foot efforts, just one of City's 900 chances at Bournemouth, sparked outrageous celebrations on the South Coast. Also on today's show, with the time ticking down until the UK leaves the EU, we'll chat to sports lawyer Jake Cohen to get an in-depth look at how City are likely to be affected by Brexit and Howard Hawking is going all superstitious on us as well and that's not to mention games against Watford and Schalke trying to keep order in the studio I'm David Mooney and I'm joined by ESPN's Jonathan Smith hello and Goal.com's Sam Lee hello so uh, just before we came on air um, there was the big breaking news with City so let's get that out of the way first um, it's been confirmed City are going to be investigated by UEFA uh, over the, the recent financial fair play allegations first off can I just get a quick reaction about, about what you feel about that well, uh, it's been obviously hovering over the club for a couple of months, so I, think, I don't think this is. It's been ex- expected that UEFA were going to investigate it formally, yeah. And uh, Sam, I mean, City have commented recently that they wouldn't be making comments on uh, material that had been hacked from uh, from them. What, what do you make of of the fact that now UEFA have decided to act on this? Yeah, well, I mean, obviously, City have brought out a statement this time and they obviously had to because something now tangible has come from from these leaks the football league stuff that was out in Desh Beagle and in other places um, City are obviously pretty defiant about it they're saying it's a good opportunity for them to, to clear their name basically um, it's going to be it's going to be a hell of an investigation I mean it's not going to be easy for UEFA and I don't I'm not sure UEFA are going to be able to prove anything, but I'm not sure City are going to be able to clear their name either. I think it's just going to be long and very messy. I, I just say I've got City's statement here. They say uh, Manchester City welcomes the opening of a formal UEFA investigation as an opportunity to bring an end to the speculation resulting from the illegal hacking and out-of-context publication of City emails. The accusation of financial irregularities are entirely false. The club's published accounts are full and complete and a matter of legal and regulatory record. John, should City be worried about any potential cons- consequences to this? Well, it's difficult. I can't really answer that because I don't well, you've know. Well, you've not seen the... Yeah, yeah so... Um, but obviously the suggestion from people high up in UEFA, it, what they've said is if there's serious wrongdoing that they will be looking to ban clubs from from the Champions League. So that's obviously the potential biggest threat. Do fans care about that, though? Uh, well, I would have thought so. Yeah, I mean, you, you, uh, I know City, I, City fans are famously not on, not really that on board with being in the Champions League. I, I... Yeah, they're also famously uh, feel like picked upon by UEFA. So this would be this another, is not going to help matters. Though. No, it's not. Um, I, don't, I don't. I don't see how anyone could see it as a good thing to be be out of the, you know the, Europe's biggest competition. I think we've seen over the last. Couple of last couple of weeks, how inter, you know how fascinating this competition is. It's a knockout competition, and at the moment, the English domestic cup competitions are not very interesting. I don't think anyone really cares as much as they used to. And and this is you know, you saw last uh, on on Wednesday night with the United game that 
people are very interested in cup competitions because in the space of uh, one minute, that tyre's completely turned around and everyone's talking about it. So it, it wouldn't have got the same focus if it had been in a league game, I don't think. So, I think people have put a positive spin on City getting chucked out of the Champions League if they do. I think City fans. Because basically, if Liverpool were to win the league this season, I know they're having a bit of a, but they're having a bad patch at the minute and it's not looking like they will. But if they go out to Bayern Munich and they can focus on the league and if they end up winning it and it's generally considered that you know they've had a clear schedule, then City fans will think, well, we just won't have European football for one season, focus on the, on the league, blitz the league, get Liverpool out of the picture again and then carry on. I, I think... I tweeted um, on Thursday night just asking City fans, look, apart from the fact that you may or not, may not be worried about what's going to happen in terms of punishment, are you actually worried about, you know... Not being you, there. You, well, no, your own, your own club potentially breaking rules. Do you do you, do you think that's bad or whatever? The overwhelming um, opinion was, no, I don't care. Um, the rules are put in place to harm City in the first place. So if that's the overwhelming opinion and then you wait for ban them, I, I, from from the Champions League, I wouldn't be surprised if the overwhelming reaction from City fans was defiance, and, and it's is, just well, we'll just focus on the league, we'll get under five points, and go from there. <laughs> and that, I mean, that is also assuming that UEFA find enough. Uh, oh, or, of course, or, it's, or, it's, or, it's, actually find them guilty of anything. Yeah, I, I don't think anybody can. Well, nobody can say with certainty which way it's going to go. I mean, you know, it's. I think it's fair to say the the information as it's been presented certainly looks damning. But if City are saying it's all taken out of context, you know, as a journalist, you you you, you know how 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 simple things you've said can look different if they're taken out of context. So that comes into it, and it's it's gonna it's just gonna be incredibly murky. I don't think anybody can can actually prove. Yeah, I don't. I'm not sure if I'm not sure if it's going to actually be able to be proved. And if it is, then City will still fight it anyway, as they always have done. And I just think it's going to be a very long, drawn out process. I'm I'm really not sure how how it's going to end. It'll be it'll be interesting to watch alongside one of the titleist title races we've seen in, uh, in in recent seasons. Talking of the title race, and let's let's come on to the game at, at Bournemouth. Um, City are back on top, John. And how much of a feat do you think that is with them having been ten points off the lead in in late December, early January? I think it's a a, a real surprise. Um, as at that game at St James's Park when they lost to Newcastle, which was obviously a, a, a bit later, but it felt. Felt that, like the end of the world that yeah, night, didn't that, it? That night, felt, especially like that, it felt like it had, it had gone at that point. Um, and, and, and now they're back, and won every game since, have they? Yeah, they have. Yes, they have. <laughs> and yeah, every yeah. game before that, since the Leicester game. Yeah, so it's clearly so they lost that game. Yeah, that was it. Mad. So I mean, when you look at how extraordinary last season was, they're only actually seven points down on this stage last year. Um. Does that? I mean, when when you put it in that context, I mean, nobody was expecting City to repeat the season that they had last no. year again this year, and it's only seven points. It just kind of shows a what they've achieved to get back to the top of the table at this side, and, and b what a challenge they've got in Liverpool this year. Yeah, no, that I mean, it is absolutely right, and I was, it's it's funny actually because whenever well, whenever I put the TV on, normally this Premier League year's on, so I'll stick it on, <laughs> and it's mad how they, it's mad how the title race now compares. But there was one today. It was '98 when Arsenal won the league. And it got to the end of the season, and the commentators were like, "Maybe, maybe people listen to this will say because it's United." But the commentators were like, "Oh, well, fair play to United. They didn't have won the title this season, but they've provided some excellent football." And congratulations. I would like that to be the case this season, whether it's City or Liverpool in second place, because not if it's close, like if it goes right to the end. Because I don't, I don't think 
kind of well, like I think it, everyone's like it setting it up. I think everyone's going to set it up as this team is amazing. The other one's bottled it. Whereas you could have two amazing teams. Look, Liverpool at the moment. They're, to be fair, there are signs that they might be bottling it if you look at the results. But if they do pick up again and there's one or two points in it by the end, whichever way it goes, both teams will have had great seasons. And yeah, I mean, City re- recognise that, especially when you look at the last two seasons with Chelsea and Leicester winning the league and then completely dropping off. You know, City haven't dropped off. You know, if they don't win it this year, it's not because of complacency. They fought all the way. To be where they are now is incredible. And yeah, like you said, there's there's a great Liverpool team there. In terms of the comparison to last season, the seven points... The only, considering they lost four games already, you would you would just assume off the top of your head they were further behind. They would, you? Yeah. It would be more than that. Now, uh, I, I, this is Jose Mourinho speaking to Richard Keys and Andy Gray on being <laughs> be sports about. You sold uh, it well. About the like, oh, Yeah. All right. I'll, I'll do that again then. Shall I, <laughs> shall I do a bit more enthusiasm? Do you want? No, that? no. It was just the names involved. But uh, fair enough. Okay. Well, I'll try and be a bit more a bit more enthusiastic. This just time. as listeners, it is um, good. Yeah. I, I mean, it's. Instinctively, I say Jose Mourinho, and, and listeners will go, "Oh well, I, you know, I don't want to be part of that." But this is what he's got to say to Richard Keys and Andy Gray on being sports about uh, the title race this season. Now, City can say we win every match; we are going to be champions. Mm-hmm. They don't have to think about Liverpool anymore. And Liverpool now they have to to play in, uh, two matches every weekend. Two matches every weekend, their match and City's match. and City match, and that takes energy from you. I promise you that that takes energy from you. You play five o'clock. The other one plays three o'clock. So you're not just expending energy on no. what you're doing, but no. you're watching. And what we managers, we can say what we want to try, to try to spread the the, the tranquility. Mm-hmm. There is no way the players are in the dressing room and they are thinking about the match they are going to play and they are thinking about the match that the opponent is playing before you. And they are at home in the hotel, ready for the match tomorrow. But their opponent is playing now, and they are all, if not in front of the television in front of the mm. of the screen to know the results and that takes energy from you and if you lead you have a pillow mm-hmm. and liverpool lost that pillow and the pillow was quite fat mm. i had immediately that little feeling when city lost a match on a saturday and liverpool on the sunday drew at home these are the matches where you have to do it the extra positive energy that they they should get in that day was City that got it. Mm. I remember a few social media, even from some City players, having quite a laugh mm. because everybody was speaking about the title going away mm-hmm. and right. the next day Liverpool didn't, didn't win. So the ones that were supposed to have the positive energy on that weekend was Liverpool, but wasn't. For a pledge of $2 a month, you can hear our weekly bonus show on a wide range of city topics. There's more details on patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast. Jose Mourinho there. Um, it, it's funny because the, the, the two matches every weekend with uh, City fans recently, you can kind of get that. City fans have been playing Liverpool's games recently as well. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I didn't even watch the Merseyside derby at the weekend. Um, my wife is a Liverpool fan, but like incredibly... Um, superstitious about it and doesn't like watching the games and I, I, I was kind of I was kind of nervous as well because you know I'd, I'd rather City won the league than Liverpool this season and I I was finding myself I was trying to kill time and I'd not <laughs> even check the score and I'm, like, I'm not even a City fan and you think the City fans will be doing that and then when Mourinho says that you go it's completely logical that the players maybe if they're not like as Actively nervous or it, yeah. superstitious about it you are going to be paying attention and 
if they do win, it's like, oh, okay. Because, you know, there's always that hope. Like, whatever it is, it's, whether it's football or anything in life, while there's a possibility, you've always got that hope. And look, if Liverpool go 3 0 up after five minutes, you go, oh, you kill the hope. Yeah, you, forget you move it. on, don't you? But when it gets to that stage, and I think that was probably the problem with the first Merseyside derby, when it gets to the end and there's a late goal, that starts to take its toll on you. Because if you start getting your hopes up going, oh, they're going to drop points here, and suddenly they don't, it, it can be a big problem. But now, obviously, you know, and Mourinho, that's like the most insightful thing and most probably the most true to real life thing that he said in months. You know, that is probably reflects reality. That is something valuable to hear him say. Um, and the fact that City are now playing ahead of Liverpool this weekend against Watford, the shoe will be on the other foot and you're probably going to have Liverpool keeping an eye on it. Although I'd imagine they would probably think City are going to win this. Yeah. But over time, what Mourinho is saying... I can it can certainly, get on board yeah, it can certainly have, have an impact. John, I mean, how crucial is it that, that City can just focus on their own results now? Win all the games, they win the league. Simple as that. I mean, it's a big ask, but still. Um, well, I, I, they will drop points before the end of the season, so I think they will keep an eye on Liverpool results. Perhaps mantra all the way through is there's no point worrying about what they're up to. Um, I mean, I got the impression that, um, at Wembley that they weren't aware of what was happening at Old Trafford even though where no one left the press room <laughs> until that game had finished. It was, no one was even talking about the, the, the cup final. Um, but I, I got the impression the City players weren't really that, that bothered. They were completely focused on the cup final. So It's a weird thing, because I was going to ask you, do you feel like City have benefited from focusing when Liverpool have dropped points? Um, I, th- I just think they just... Yeah, with that one, when the game's kicking off in like half an hour, I think they're like, right, I would like to know what's going on with Liverpool, but if I don't go through my own mental preparations for this game, we're not going to win the cup final. But yeah, when there's like a day or two in it, then maybe they've gone, well, I think it's probably helped sharpen the mind, and maybe it could have got away from them after Newcastle. But that's when Liverpool started dropping points, and maybe City thought, thought again, oh, we're back in this. It's, well, it's interesting what Mourinho said about the positive energy stuff about that. that I mean, he got the days wrong, but you yeah, know, we'll, we'll forgive yeah. him that. But and it, 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 he was right. Kyle yeah. Walker had that tweet that he that he was he deleted in the end, but he was spot on with that. Yeah, um, it's 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 a huge boost. And yeah, what Mourinho was saying was basically City won, City like City gained points or gained momentum or whatever it was because or they get you know they gained something the energy because Liverpool it, yeah. because Liverpool, Liverpool hadn't and. I mean, you completely agree with that. It did feel like, you know, I'd, I'd written an article after the Newcastle game because, you know, bearing in mind what Guardiola had said, it was like, oh, what's going on with this? Is it a major problem? Is something going on? Are they forgetting to play? Is it complacency? Do they not have leaders? And then I think that was going to be published on a Thursday. And then Liverpool drew, and it was kind of like there was no demand for City's own problems because someone else had problems. And that's just a weird way that this title race works, or all title races maybe, because... It almost at that point it didn't matter that City were having a bit of a blip or a bit of a, a bit of a relative wobble because Liverpool were having one as well, and all of a sudden they were back in it, and all the positivity was back on City side, and it has been, I think, ever since. We keep talking about uh, pressure in this uh, in this title race. While we're on opposition managers, this is what Jurgen Klopp had to say to the BBC after Liverpool's nil-nil draw at Goodison Park. Being chased or being that somebody chased you or you're the chaser, that's not important. The good thing is you're. That's a, you are in a really good region of the table when that happens. So, um, and I'm completely fine with both roads. It's how you said now a few times. Who wants to be first uh, top of the table beginning of March? It's nice, but um, a lot of games to come, a lot of games to play, a lot of things. You saw, of course, we saw yesterday. I saw match of the day, and um, so the celebration of City. Yeah? 
they, 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 they had 900 chances or so and didn't finish with one in the short corner, pretty much wrong foot or something like that from RS. That's how it is, football. You have to be ready for these moments. We will be ready for these moments again. You're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast, facebook.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast. Johnny, does he sound like the pressure's getting to him, do you think? <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I mean, I don't completely disagree with everything that he said, but yeah, it, particularly in the uh, in the press conference and everything around it, I mean, he does like an excuse, you know, whether it's wind or... Uh, Did you say, I don't know if you saw it, but the... Uh, there was an Everton fan that tweeted a video of the corner flag uh, saying they must make corner flags out of stern stuff uh, to deal with the wind at Goodison. It was just flopped. Was like, no, no movement yeah. on it whatsoever. Yeah, and then there was the there was the altercation with the, the ball boy and he, he looked He was going to chin him, furious. wasn't he? Furious. <laughs> and he managed to get, get himself back. But it's not a good look. It, it's, it's, he's not coming across well at the moment. It, it's excuses and it's like he's trying to He's trying to play down everything, every drop point. And, you know, I, I do, I, I agree with him. They are in a good spot. They're only a point off the top. They're in a title race. I, I, I find it strange that Liverpool fans aren't enjoying it more. This is the closest they've come since 2014 and the closest they've been for 20 years, you know, really, along with that. And they should be enjoying it and, and making the most of it rather than it being a... It feels like, it feels almost painful for them to be going through this. Um, and, and Klopp's, I think Klopp's adding to that. Well, he's a bad loser, isn't he? And it's not just... It's he's not a bad ju- winner, mate. <laughs> yeah, true. But um, yeah, but it's its not unique to their situation at the moment because he's come out with this stuff. Like at the end of last season, I think they drew with West Brom when he said something about the wind or the pitch or whatever. Oh, no, it was uh, West, Bro- West Brom are down, going down. They don't need yeah, the points. That yeah, was, that was yeah. it. Yeah, something like, so, like he's, Very odd. He's a notoriously bad loser, but the, the, you know, the pressure of the situation is only going to add to that. Um I, th- I think there might be legitimate questions about you know the substitutions he made, and you know he can't he put up like a decent defense of that, like yo, we you can't just put on, you can't just throw on an extra striker. But I don't I don't know if anyone was actually saying that they were like just don't bring on Adam Lallana, bring on Shakiri, yeah, you know just bring on somebody who's a who's got a bit of a spark about them rather than try and shore like bringing on substitutions that are like for like in a defensive minded team anyway, you know he he's got a lot of midfielders he can pick and he's picked his you know, his most kind of reliable ones. Fabinho's got a bit of craft about him, I'll give him that. The rest are workhorses. He did it at Old Trafford, he did it at, at Everton, and he didn't seem willing to change it, to risk it, to go for the points. And there's probably legitimate questions to be asked about how he's handling it in terms of his decisions. But in terms of what he says after the game, it doesn't change an awful lot because I think he's just like that in general. How much, I mean, Mourinho was talking about positive energy. How much mm. does City take from this this weekend just gone now that the back top will on, on level games? Um... I mean, Pep was incredibly happy at, yes. at Bournemouth. Yes. I mean, we we went in the press conference and Pep came out. We were waiting for the players, and he was absolutely bouncing coming out. And he gave us both a high five. He was. Just, yeah. he, he obviously saw that as a, a really big three points after the week they've had. You know, that was it was tough at 120 minutes against Chelsea. It was a it was a grind of a game anyway. Uh, another game in midweek. It was you know it's not Bournemouth wasn't easy in the way they set up. It made it really difficult. You know, the stats are are amazing. They're insane, aren't they? You know, zero shots on or off target. And I, I didn't realise it was a zero XG. Um, zero XG, I, zero corners. It yeah, was no like, corners. what was it, 2% I mean, possession? Just, it was one yeah. cross, I think. They just like did everything to get a nil-nil. And City ground out 
got the goal, and Pep was absolutely. He, he was so happy about that, and he thought this this is a big three points, and and I think he also thought maybe that puts a bit of, you know, it puts a pressure on Liverpool, and, and Klopp talking afterwards about watching match of the day, you know, he, I don't think that does them any favours either, you know, when the way he spoke about that, well, yeah, I mean, it's I was kind gonna... of oh look at them, they're not doing great either. It's like well, fine, it was a lucky goal, but if we, if you're analysing performances and who deserved to win and who's playing well at the moment and who isn't playing well at the moment, it's it's obvious to see. I was going to say, Sam, you you texted me and uh, about those Klopp comments and just said he had fallen off, and <laughs> it's just like he mentioned the celebrations. Isn't that just a relief at having beaten a team that has been so packed like that in a tight game? Yeah, well, you, you celebrate like. Well, that. this is a bloke who ran know, on the pitch, ran well, on the pitch. And, well, yeah. yeah, that. But also when he first turned up and he he had the whole team going up to salute the cop after a two-all draw again with West Brom at home. He's just he's just a hypocrite, isn't he? <laughs> no, but he is. Though, I, I he is though, that, he? He... A lot of managers are, but he, he is. He is though, really. And like, if if that's your way of coping with it, then fine. But I mean, the way it it does look like he's losing the plot a little bit, and the way the narrative works, the way the media works, and that that will be built up into Klopp's cracking up. Klopp's lost the plot. Liverpool, you know, he's cost them the title or whatever. Um, and that would be terrible if that happened. <laughs> Guardiola's always <laughs> the tried mischief to... <laughs> in Sam's eyes. Then <laughs> just paint that picture for you at home. He's, Guardiola's always had to try to get that team spirit, and that has involved celebrating goals together. Um, so you, you generally you'll see ten, nine or ten outfield players. May you know someone might go over to the bench and get a bit of instruction, but generally the whole team celebrate every goal. Uh, but particularly a goal like that in a type game, when you finally get that breakthrough what, after your nine hundredth chance, yeah. and you've you know you've finally broken the deadline. Why not? It's, Why yeah. not just all? Uh, yeah, and they knew it was a difficult be happy game because yeah. the, the first half. I mean, I think City were great overall because the way that Bournemouth didn't really want to try and play, but when they did, you know, City just closed them down straight away. So there was you know there was two sides to that story. But City didn't play particularly well in the first half. Didn't create a lot of chances. And again, talking about how the players, you know, they're human beings as well. The fans would have been thinking. Well, I'm not sure about this. This is going to be one of them days, and you know that might start to creep in with the players as well. You know they just got to, they keep doing their thing and going at it and going at it. If you finally get that breakthrough, you know then the game is different because they would have expected Bournemouth to come out, and in the event they didn't really, but every time they did it was about three or four times. Sterling was in behind, and they know the game changes at that point because Bournemouth open up and they can probably kill it off. It was just a big goal, and I mean if you're having a go at another team, I've never I've never really gotten this, you know. It's just it's just the preserve of bitter people. Normally, it's fans in it on Twitter. If somebody scores a late goal, they go, "I'm oh, looking at them celebrating like they won the World Cup." Behave it's yourself. Like goal. You've yeah. done it. I've done it. We've all done it. It's a late goal. It's your football team. It doesn't matter what game it is. It doesn't matter if that shows how far we've fallen or how far they've come or whatever. Everyone's happy. And again, Klopp's quotes about it being the World Cup for Everton. And then when the ball boy said, "I was the World Cup final," to him afterwards, no wonder his head come off. Because <laughs> it'd have been in a it'd have been in a terrible mood anyway. Well, John, you mentioned uh, Pep Guardiola's pro, uh, press conference. This is what he had to say to the press after the game at Bournemouth. They are incredible. We organised eleven players in the box, so it's really no spaces, and we found them. So we create a lot of chances, and that's why, apart that, you know, to win the games, to be there close to the Liverpool, to try to until the end to win the Premier League is. So I don't know what's going to happen in the end of the season, but this player deserves all my admiration, all my respect. So it's incredible how good they play today. How is um, having the drawing on 
I think uh, John, I think it's more for caution. I think it's not it. We'll see tomorrow and Kevin, something hamstring. But it's, it's normal, my friends, it's normal. So we played 25 games in, I think, 90, 93 days. So these guys, with the men playing that way every three days when the, f- the body is not already recovered. Then, of course, sometimes, you know, the muscles say, hello, it's enough. But everybody's commit and we wait Kevin come back and, and the players are there, so we are going to go. I don't know how far we are going to, to arrive, but we're going to try. Very tight. You seem very calm on the touchline. Did you always have confidence that that Yeah, when they play the way they play, I'm calm. Always it can happen. But what can I say? It's the they score a goal or they when throwing or in that position. They know that I never regret this kind of situation. I regret when we play like Newcastle. Like after one goal, we forgot to play, we forgot to defend, we forgot to run backwards. And after that, we are in trouble. But what has happened? So the game was like this. I know I was a football player. I know how difficult it is to attack 11 players there. So when long balls to, to the winger, to King, and that's all. Long ball to winger all the time, 11 players back, back, back. It's not easy to, to find them, but we found them. What about uh, Riyad Mahrez? It's been difficult for him. It came through, came through when it mattered, really. Yeah, of course. Of course, yeah. it's so important for him, the first one, for the team. But all the players he has to know, he has to compete with Bernardo, he has to compete with Sterling. He has to be ready. And he is positive and he's, okay, my time is going to come, the time is going to come, because there are a lot of games. And when they play in that way, because I don't have any doubt about his quality, uh, and always his mentality is, is aggressive, but he has to understand where he is. And where he is is a, a team who scored 100 points and, uh, and, and every single game, fight and run and play and and the people in front is Leroy last season was one of the most important players that we had Bernardo the best player in the league and and Rahim so he's an incredible player check out exclusive city interviews on our website bluemoonpodcast.com Pep Guardiola there after the game at Bournemouth uh, he, he made quite a big deal about about Riyad Mahrez uh, with you know with that with the goal with the crucial goalies um He's been the focus for a lot of City fans for the, for the last few weeks. It, it must be good for him to get a crucial moment in a City game. Yeah, it was a big moment for him. Uh, and it's probably his key contribution so far this season. Uh, Along with, I mean, he, he won the game at Spurs as well. He got, uh, he he got the only goal at Spurs. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I'd forgotten about that one, actually. Um, but this one felt felt bigger. Um, you know, that, that missed penalty at Liverpool, it's probably his... It's going to haunt him, isn't it? That is, that's his major Yeah, he major won't get over that until it? the end of the season. If the City win the title, he won't be bothered. If they don't, then that'll stick with him. That'll follow him around. It, I mean, it was a classic hit the target, it might go in goal. Which one? The penalty? Yeah, the, the penalty, weekend. penalty definitely wasn't. The, uh, the one at the weekend was. Yeah, um, I think it confused Boric, didn't it? Um, Morris said himself that he was going for the opposite corner, so Boric would have expected that. You know, the whole body language and everything, where he was looking, where he was aiming his body, he would have been going the other way. He's hit the ground, as again he admitted. It's gone in the near post. Boric, who was great otherwise. And I'm not sure how many people noticed this. I only saw it on the monitor at Bournemouth afterwards. They had like a live feed. It wasn't like a Skystream or anything, it was just a live feed. Guardiola went on the pitch and kind of said to Boric, like, like, jokingly we know he's like dry sense of humour it's hard oh, yeah, to tell yeah. when he's joking he was like jokingly berating him not like the one against Southampton the other year but like a bit more jokingly than that and then I like pushed him on the chest and then broke into a massive smile and hugged him as if to say like 
what a performance that was. I wish he hadn't done that. Because he got everything else, but I think he was just fooled by by the fact that Morris wasn't actually trying to put it where he did. Um, and maybe Morris should try it more often. Because to be fair, everyone knows where he's going to put it anyway. He's going to cut onto his left foot and go for the far corner. Maybe he should if he maybe you'll learn from that. Try something different, and things will start changing for him. What will the goal do for him, John? Well, it, it, it came after that performance against West Ham where you could feel that was a proper hook in as well. He was off early. Yeah, right? but you could feel it from the crowd that. It, it just wasn't going for him in the first half, and I'm not sure it was always his fault. I think him and De Bruyne weren't weren't working together; they weren't on the same wavelength. And sometimes, I don't know, maybe De Bruyne was just delaying his pass a little bit, and or Mares wasn't going. But you know, the, quite rightly, no go. De Bruyne the City fans aren't going to. Go, you know, De Bruyne's been amazing for two years, so it's it's the it's the winger, the record signing who's not done a lot, who's going to get the focus. Um, and it was, and then to make matters worse, it took Bernardo two minutes to to change the game. Um, and it, I think Pep said afterwards, you know, he's up against Bernardo, he's up against Sterling, primarily on the right wing, um, and and, the, and those two are just playing so so well at the moment. Would, would so. Mares benefit from being on the left? I know he likes to be on the, on the right to cut inside onto his left but would he benefit from, in that same way that Sterling used to play on the left and cut in and it just didn't really work for him in that first year as soon as Guardiola moved him to the right he looked a lot more dangerous. I'm not sure he's, has he played there with City? I can't remember him I don't, I I, can't remember I don't him think Mares has played, it, played there that often I'm sure, I'm sure they will have done it in training and Pep will have taken a, a decision which is probably no, it won't work. <laughs> Fair enough. What? Yeah, and seemingly Sterling seems really good at that at the moment as well, doesn't he? Like he's taking up that instead of him scoring the tap-ins, he's kind of the one providing them now. He's getting into the areas that Sane was in, and let's not forget the Sane there as well. And if we were talking about playing on the left, I mean, he might be having I don't know a relative wobble at the moment, not a massive one, but he's not starting the big games, is he? Guardiola's going with Sterling instead. Um, but if it comes to who's going to play on the left, then Sane is probably going to get the nod before Mahrez does as well. I'd like to see Sane on the right, but that never seems to be an option either. Doesn't, yeah, it doesn't happen, doesn't happen either. Guardiola also spoke there about uh, City's injuries. De Bruyne went off uh, quite early in that game. He seemed to mouth the word hamstring to, mm. to Guardiola. Uh, is this a season with De Bruyne where we just kind of go, it, it just hasn't happened? No, I think he's all right. Um, well, I, it hasn't happened so far. I know there was, there just, was, an, I mean, just there was an article culmination of today injuries, about the ways, he's, the ways he's improved, but I mean, I don't think you can actually look at his performance and say he's better than last season because he just isn't. He's just but, been which is completely been understandable. Hampered, he? Yeah. yeah, but I think he's all right this time around. I think they did a scan on Sunday, and they went, "We need to have a look and see if that's, there's actually anything there." So they obviously didn't pick up a tear or anything. I don't know if they'll risk him at the weekend. They might not even risk him against Schalke. They might not even risk him against Swansea. Like why? I mean, they might want to get him in some kind of rhythm, or maybe even keep him out of the Belgium squad if they could. But I think he's all right. So from City's point of view, that that's good news. But yeah, those two knee injuries are going to be a problem for, for anyone I, I spoke to him after the, the game at Wembley and just said Look, how are you feeling at the moment and he was like, oh, I'm, I'm feeling alright because I felt like I played well today and you know it's just it's just getting there really I mean it, everything he said when, you, when, when I wrote it down it was like oh this looks overwhelmingly positive the way he said it was kind of like yeah, well, it was, he is a bit like that, though. Yeah, he? yeah, so, he, he, he was kind of like he, he knows, like you could tell from his tone that he, he knows he's not quite there. But he said a few weeks ago he, he wasn't yet at that rhythm either, where he could play every two or three days. He's only just getting back to that. The city medical staff, when he came back in December, said he wouldn't be fit until yeah, he played at Leicester in the Carabao Cup, so that was December. 
and the city medical staff were saying then he wouldn't be fully fit until February. And also we had that little knock that kept him out of the Liverpool game yeah. just after that. So he's added a bit of a setback as well. It's maybe a bit like Gundogan when he came back. And I remember Marty Perrin, you know, obviously the Guardiola biographer, he said he needed 20 games to get fit. And, you know, 20 games takes, Quite a, spell, isn't takes it? Yeah. a long period of the season. So if he's anything like that, he's, he's getting there. Um, but these little setbacks aren't going to help him in terms of match rhythm. But you'd like to think when it comes to April and that mad set of fixtures, he's going to be there. Uh, John, the other the other uh, injury was John Stones. He went off for, for Vincent Company. I, I, Guardiola said it was for caution, nothing more. Is there any long-term worries with Stones at the moment, given that you look at, I mean, only we're going to come on to previewing the Schalke game, but for that one, Otamendi's suspended in there. You know, Laporte's only just back and, you know, Company has his injury problems as well. So the, the, any weaknesses in the centre of defence maybe with injuries? Well, I think they've got enough cover, haven't they, in, in terms of they've got the four centre-halves and I don't think... Any of them are seriously injured. Um, you know, I think I think uh, Laporte has probably got a chance of playing at the weekend. Stones won't be far off. So I, no, I don't think so. And, and you never know with Vinny, do you? He's back at the moment. Um, I, I'm playing very well as well, actually. So I mean, one of them, or at least one of Laporte and Stones, will be kept for the Schalke game because I think yeah. like, Laporte's not far off. The the, the initial um, diagnosis of Laporte after the Carabao Cup final was two weeks. But Guardiola likes to play these things up. For whatever reason, he likes to say, are oh, they going to be out for ages? Because he was saying he might not even be back until after the international break and all this kind of stuff. He would have known all along it was only two weeks. <laughs> it was like last year when Sani got injured. It was a terrible looking injury, the one at Cardiff. What was he back in the end? Like two weeks again. The De, the, I, and they were saying like, he was going to be out for like three months. The De Bruyne one was last season at Crystal Palace. He played two days later. <laughs> that was incredible, <laughs> yeah. Incredible one. Uh, right, well, there's now less than a month until the UK leaves the European Union, unless there's an extension to the Article 50 process. As it stands, there could be three options on the 29th of March. Either the UK remains in the EU with an extension, the UK leaves with Theresa May's deal, or the UK leaves with no deal at all. To find out how this is all likely to impact City, I've been speaking to sports lawyer Jake Cohen. No deal Brexit simply means that the UK leaves the EU next month without any agreements in place that would outline what the relationship or relationships between the UK and the EU will look like going forward. Of course, with the deal, there will be provisional agreements, a 21-month transition period, and a number of other guarantees that will, in fact, govern that relationship between the UK and the EU. So, simply put... No deal means that on 29 March, the UK leaves the EU, that relationship is severed, and it would be up to the parties to agree to new relationships. So just looking in terms of football then in, in that case, what, what will happen to the players that are already in the Premier League who came here under, under freedom of movement and under that kind of uh, that right that they had that will no longer exist? As I understand it, the government has made very, very clear that if you are a resident in the UK and you're an EU citizen, you're certainly not going to be kicked out of the UK. Once you're a resident, you're going to be able to enjoy the rights and freedoms that you currently enjoy. What would it happen to maybe future transfers that would involve EU players? Would they then start to need work permits? When we start talking about work permits, to sort of set the stage, I think it's really important to know the dichotomy between the FA and the Premier League when it comes to what a new work permit system will look like. And the reason why there is a dichotomy is that there are conflicting interests. So the FA, of course, is primarily focused on ensuring England's success at the international level, and therefore it has a vested interest in ensuring that English players have the opportunity to develop 
and thrive in the Premier League. The Premier League is primarily concerned with casting the widest possible net for talent. So whereas the FA would prefer a new work permit system to further restrict foreign players coming into the Premier League and taking what the FA would consider to be spots that could otherwise be taken by English players, the Premier League would prefer unfettered access to the global market of football and therefore would favor a very easy work permit process. However, the home office is the ultimate decider of who gets a work permit. It's the same in football. It's the same in every industry. However, it is the FA's responsibility, the responsibility given to the FA by the home office to issue what's called a governing body endorsement or GBE. And before the home office will grant a, a visa, a work permit, they'll need a GBE from the FA. So while the FA must, of course, comply with home office, currently EU, um, and of course, UK regulations on employment and work permits, it is the FA that issues the GBE, and therefore is the FA's decision in conjunction with complying with the various regulations to dictate what the criteria will look like. It's a good opportunity then for the FA to perhaps use the new GBE work permit process to indirectly carve out more spots for English players in Premier League clubs. Would that potentially make it make it harder to, to bring in players from EU countries? You know, it's really important to note that uh, currently UK and Premier League clubs enjoy what's called an Article 19 exception. So Article 19 is a FIFA regulation that basically says that an international transfer cannot be completed until the player is 18 years old. So basically, under-18 transfers are not allowed. There are three exceptions to that rule, one of which is a very specific EU-EEA carve-out that was agreed between UEFA, FIFA, and the EU in 2000 and 2001, which reduces that down to under-16. So what that means is that EU-EEA clubs can sign EU-EEA players and players from EU and EEA clubs age 16 and 17. That gives a massive two-year advantage for clubs to go out and sign the very best young players that they've identified at no So Manchester City used this ex- exemption very, very recently, um, signing Jaden Braff, uh, who looks to be a great young Dutch player. And the ability to go out and sign 16- and 17-year-olds is a massive, huge advantage right now. And it's going to be a massive disadvantage for Premier League clubs, who are now going to have to wait two years while clubs with similar financial resources, such as... Roma, Juventus, the Milan clubs, Dortmund, Bayern, PSG, Real Madrid, Barcelona. They're going to go out and sign the best 16 and 17. Your players, UK and Premier League clubs, will have to wait until age 18. So what does this mean? So imagine if Rabbi uh, Matondo, for example, was Italian instead of Welsh slash English, right? Manchester City brought him in when he was 16, sold him to Germany for, I believe, it was 11 million pounds. That would not be able to happen once this EU-EA exception is lost. And given how FIFA has reacted to previous Oracle 19 situations, so we've seen Real Madrid, Atletico Madrid face sanctions for Oracle 19 violations. We've seen Barcelona um We've just seen Chelsea um, sort of start this process. FIFA enforces Oracle 19 very strictly. I think it's very, very difficult to imagine a scenario in which FIFA allows UK or Premier League clubs to have an additional carve-out where the likes of Manchester City and you know the other top clubs right now can compete with Real Madrid, you know Juventus, etc. 
on equal footing for these 16 and 17 year old players. They're just going to have to wait until they're age 18, which just gives, I, I really can't state this enough. It's a huge, huge, huge competitive advantage for European clubs with similar financial and scouting resources um, as Premier League club, because again, two year advantage unfettered to sign the best young players from Europe. Um, and it's just going to make signing young players age 18 um, and 19 a much, much more expensive proposition. Now, obviously, at this stage as well, it, you know, it seems like um, Theresa May's deal is not going to get through the House of Commons, although we, we, we have a month to go and there's the, you know, a couple of votes coming up. It, you know, should something change and the deal goes through, would that change the situation any? As I understand it, we're into football specifically, of course. Uh, Theresa May has been firm in that points-based work permit criteria and points-based appeals to that work permit criteria will no longer be a part of the EU work permit employment immigration process following Brexit. Right now, the FA does use a points-based system, which allots points to, right now, non-EU EEA players. So, for example, a player coming in from Benin uh, in Africa. He would have to apply for a GBE. Benin, I believe, is outside the top 75 in terms of the FIFA ranking. Sometimes if your national association, if your country performs well on the international stage and you play a requisite number of games, you can get in. If they don't, however, then it goes to a points-based system. And points are allocated based on the wages, the transfer fee, the amount of games played for the National Association, and a number of other factors. Theresa May has said consistently that points-based GBE work permit requirements appeals will not be a thing. So yeah, it'll be very interesting to see what that looks like. Today, I, I have no indication as to as to what that will look like. Should fans be be worried by uh, by, by the potential impacts of Brexit on, on City's maybe title challenge this season? Uh no, there's no chance whatsoever that any Manchester City player um, is forced to leave the UK between now uh, and the end of May. So I, I would say, yeah, certainly no need to worry about this season. However, in the future, fans of clubs like Manchester City who regularly go out and compete with the other top European clubs for the best young 16, 17-year-olds, they're just not going to be able to do that until the player turns 18. Of course, it puts the likes of City United at a similar disadvantage, so it cancels each other out. But Compared to the other top European clubs, it puts them at a massive, massive disadvantage. Uh, and just imagine those players not being in the first team or Manchester City being forced to pay maybe 5, 10, 20 times as much for that same player. Or Manchester City buys that player at 16, sells them at 19. That transfer fee that Manchester City would have otherwise had is no longer going to be available for Manchester City to put that towards signing an established international player. So the loss of the Oakland 19 exception is really what fans should be concerned about. Please support the show by becoming a backer. Patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast. Jake Cohen there explaining the ins and outs of uh, what City could face the other side of Brexit. Now, um, bringing it back but towards uh, football matters, there's two games to look forward to, Watford and Schalke. Um, talking of positive energy, as we were earlier on, how important will it be if City can get four points ahead when Liverpool next play? Yeah, that would be big as well. Um, if, again, it's one of those you'd look at You'd look at Liverpool playing Burnley at home and think that's not gonna, you know, that's not gonna be a problem. But you'd probably say that about Leicester and and West Ham and even Everton. So there's no guarantees that Liverpool are going to do that. But yeah, it's going back to what we were saying about the psychological advantages and all that kind of stuff. The Liverpool players are probably expecting it to be four points, but to actually go and do it, you know, a couple of weeks ago they were talking about 
Uh, there's, yeah, there's 12 games left, and all of a sudden, you know, there's eight games left, and it starts it starts ticking down then, and then it, it, it's going to be the real quiz after the international break. You know, the, the Fulham game, get that boxed off, and then it's just April it is going to be mad. So, what's it you need to do? And talking about the maybe City would get that positivity from Everton getting the draw against Liverpool last week. I think that's kind of gone. I think that positivity has has happened, and City now know their task, and their task is turn up, win the game, and then go home and think about the next one. And I think that's going to what they do at the weekend. Is there a chance, John, that we're all sitting here going, well, Watford got heavily beaten at Anfield, that'll be a walkover, and actually it won't be? I know they've been very good this season. Um, I, potentially, actually, the best team outside the top six. Um, I was going to come on to this. They're level with Wolves outside in, some, in uh, 6th and 7th. 7th uh, and 8th, sorry. They've got some, they've got some very, very dangerous players. Um, Delefeo I've been a, a fan of for a long time, and he seems like he's finally... Sort of showing that form he was when he was like 17 with Barca and Spain. He looked that's when I first saw him, thought he looked terrific. Um, Dini's in good form as well, yeah. Dini's dangerous, isn't he? To a lot of goals recently, I think he's up there with Aguero in terms of in fact, I think he's second only to Aguero in terms of goal contributions in 2019. It's like five goals and three assists or six and three, something like that. So he's you know, it'll be a handful as well. But so I remember going down the, the first game of last season with Sammy to Brighton and saying the the early game was Liverpool versus Watford and Decorey was playing. I said, who, who are these players at Watford? I said, I've never heard of these players. <laughs> Decorey looks a great player. Yeah. I got that one badly wrong, yeah. So they've got some... No, they've got some they, decent players. They have, they, yeah. they really have, yeah. And, got, and, and Foster's a decent keeper these days as well. We we talked what well, we saw in the the first time City played Watford how, how good Foster was he kept him in it for for long spells in that game. Um, talking about the pressure as well, City now front runners in the in the league. We talk about you know going first, going second, leading the table, chasing in in the league. Does that actually make a difference? Uh, no, I don't think it does. To I don't think it does to Pep. I think he just says, look, just just go out and beat them. He doesn't, you know. It, it, He's been asked that many times about pressure, about going second, going first, and it's always the same answer. We just we just go out, try to beat the other the other team, and and see what happens. Yeah, and this this might sound mad, but and maybe I'm doing I might be massively overrating Guardiola and City or under it and everyone else, but it's it's almost like it's just focus on your own job because it's it's not so much about individual talent and going out and beating a man or putting something in the top corner from thirty yards. It's Go out, make that short five-yard pass that you could make with your eyes closed, run into that position, cut it back for him and put it away. And it's just, if you keep doing what you're supposed to do, these jobs that you've been doing for two years and, you know, you know, like, like the back of your hand, you will do it. So I think it's a lot easier for Guardiola just to tell them to focus and get the job Sounds done. Sounds so clinical when you say it like that. Well, <laughs> I, just, I think that's how they play, though, isn't it? It's, it's these set patterns. And, you know, they've, got, they've introduced different patterns this year for the Champions League because... They've they've established for whatever reason reasons that we can't fathom as it wasn't working. as mere watchers that there's there's a massive difference between the Premier League and the Champions League. So they need to pass the ball in a different way in a different patterns. Yeah, in the Premier League they know what they're doing, and it's just don't feel the pressure. Don't feel like you need to go out and be Superman. Just contribute. Just do your bit. Your teammate will do his bit. And as we saw at Bournemouth, it's probably going to be enough Something if it's happen. one nil. Yeah. And if you have a good day, it's going to be three or four. Now, it's one competition won. City are still in three others. Is, is that going to be an advantage for momentum, John? Because Liverpool have been talking about the fact that they, they, they obviously they've only got the Champions League. They might not even have the Champions League. City might not even have the Champions League. We'll come on to that shortly. But 
the idea that the rest between games actually it, it makes no difference because if you've got a game every three days you have an opportunity to put things right when they're not going right or you've got an opportunity yeah. to build on what you've just done I think there's pros and cons for, for both of it you know obviously it, if City, City have got a few injuries at the moment it's becomes more difficult you, you, you're more likely to pick up more injuries if you're playing every you know potentially every four games in 14 days or whatever but I also think that the I don't think it's good for Liverpool to, for them to have only one focus uh, because pressure it, again. The, the Anfield can be oh, a very tough place to play. Have you got the, have you got the city issue? I've seen the memo. I'm just reading from it as we speak. <laughs> uh, but it's true. I you know I was I was there in 2014 for Liverpool versus Chelsea and. They just want it so much. It's tough. It can be tough. Um, so I don't think it does them any favours. And but I do think it can be tough on City if they, you know, Champions League. If they go, get through to the quarterfinals, which they should, which they should do. Well, let's it's let's going talk to be about, tough, isn't it? Let's talk about the, the the Schalke game because how key is it that they're bringing back a three-two lead and and three away goals when everyone seemed to go back with ten men, two-one. They've got an away goal. It's all right. They'll get the job done at the Etihad, yeah. and suddenly it's got even better in the last last five minutes. Yeah, uh, I mean Schalke have, have also got even worse since since then. Um, you know, they should be overwhelming favourites, but yeah, it's 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 a big help. Having that one goal advantage, three away goals, and you 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 think that they should get through comfortably. Really, it's a narrow lead, Sam, but it is. It, it feels a lot bigger than than maybe it is on paper, if that makes sense. Yeah, um, just because look, City, the Chaco aren't very good, and they still scored twice. So you could either say, well, that was a one-off, and City will beat them four-nil, or it could happen again. You know, they 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 could get one away goal or whatever. But the the three does make it seem big. You would imagine that City are going to at least score once. And look, the Champions League so far has been mad. It's been absolutely mad. And if that game this was week this alone, week, yeah. you would just think this it could happen again, you know, because it's happened everywhere else. It's the way football seems to work. But with a bit of a break, the way City go about it, as I said about how professional they are, I look, I don't know, you can sound, you can sound foolish, but I, I, can't, I can't see City not going through. Does the fact that the tie is still, in inverted commas, kind of tight, mean that City can't do that thing that they did against Basel where they took the foot yeah, off the exactly. gas and then lost momentum in the competition? Well, well, also they can't rest players, which you could also say would, would have been handy. Um, yeah, but I'm, I'm not sure about my momentum in the, in the competition. I think your momentum comes from the last game. And like I said, it's difficult because obviously the Champions League and the Premier League are different and they play in a different way. But... I think again, company said it at the weekend. He he was talking about the quadruple and all that. He goes, it kind of blends into one big competition. And yeah, I don't think you know if City were to lose but still go through somehow on Tuesday. And I haven't done the maths on it, but if that's possible. But then when's when's the next game going to be? It's in about a month's time. It's City, too late. The, City will have played much. three or four games yeah. by then, and you know there's there's so much water under the bridge by then. I, I think if they were to lose any momentum, then they would get it back against Fulham and and whoever they've got next. 
That's for some tight matches recently. Sin has failed to win any of the charity bets for a few weeks. The pressure's on, fellas. That means we're stuck on £738. Let's see if we can't increase that with two games before our next show. William Hill is giving each member of the team a £10 correct score single, and the winnings are going to the Christie, a specialist cancer hospital in Manchester. Uh, so uh, I've, I, for the Watford game, I've gone for a 2-1 City win, which is uh, 9-1 to and £90. Then for Schalke, I've, uh, I've predicted a, a, a rather comfortable 2-0, which is uh, 5-1 and £50. John, what are you having for, uh, for Watford? I've gone a bit more adventurous than you. I've gone 3-0 against Watford. It's uh, 11 to 2 and 55 quid. And 4-0 against Schalke. That's 8 wow. to 1 and 80 pounds. Sam, what are you having? Uh, City 3, Watford 1. Uh, that's 9 to 1, just like mine, so 90 quid. And City to beat Schalke 2-1. Which is also 9 to Ooh, 1 and another 90 tight. quid. There. So, I thought uh, it would be tight in the first leg. Until we got to Jagelsenkirchen, everybody there were like, there's no way. The city going to do anything? I here. felt conned by the Schalke terrible. fans for that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they were just like, and even like people who weren't Schalke fans but just lived in the city, they were like, no, they're absolutely awful. So I went out three one, then it'd be fine. And in the end, it was what it happened. Was happened yeah, because City just seemed to concede goals in the Champions League. So yeah. we'll see what happens. See what happens. Yeah. Win a bit of money and City go through. Fair enough. You know, don't forget, you got to be eighteen or over to gamble. Prices can change. And for more on responsible gambling, visit begambleaware.org. Now, for some people, putting on their lucky pants before a match or wearing the right glasses to go to the Etihad is important. If you're one of the superstitious sort, then you might want to listen up now. Howard Hawking is a fully paid-up member of that club. <laughs> Consider myself a logical person. Despite social media often being a soapbox for the cesspit of humanity, it's taught me a few things, one being not to take everything I see at face value. It may surprise some to learn that words written over an image are not automatically true. I've learnt partially to accept alternative views, though I have a long way to go on that score, and I now realise that footballers are human beings and should be judged as such. Poor form, for example, can have many underlying causes. We've all underperformed at work, and so do they in their job. But in one area of my life I act like a man stripped of all logic and reason. I do stupid things that serve no purpose and make no sense. Because for football matches, and only for football matches, I am deeply superstitious. In an attempt to pad out this piece, I googled the definition of superstition. It's defined as an excessively credulous belief in and reverence for the supernatural. So essentially I'm attributing supernatural powers to myself. It sounds legit. Anyway, my match day routine would have psychologists wetting themselves, perhaps questioning whether I had a difficult childhood or had a knock on the head when younger. And now I think about it, I did once fall down my grand stairs and headbutt a cupboard at the bottom before being sick in a bowl. It's all started to make sense. So here's my match day routine. The same superstitions too, never varied, otherwise City will spiral down to the third tier of English football again. Pepper will leave, the Earl will run out and Jadon Sancho will lead United to eight successive Premier League titles. Or even worse, Virgil van Dijk will leave Liverpool to one. Anyway, left sock on first, left leg of jeans first too. I did ask St Petersburg trainers on, even though I don't like them anymore. Shut the bedroom door before leaving. Always keep certain valuables in left pocket. Wallet, bank card, confetti. Keys and phone in right pocket, plus anodine extra if a long day is planned. Cross Bucklands Road at the top at the lights, not immediately after I exit the house. Tram ticket if needed in right rear pocket. Tear up the credit card acknowledgement the machine prints out and place in platform bin. Then I'm free of superstition until I reach the ground. Always enter the far left turnstile, always walk up the steps one at a time. Never arrive in the seat too early, though that may just be to avoid boredom. 
Anyway, it's all working quite well. You're welcome. And what thanks do I get from the club for maintaining this winning streak? None. Nothing. Not even a citizen's training top or an inflatable banana. The superstitions are similar but modified for away games. For away games I'm not at, which is most, there are lucky pubs and unlucky pubs. There are also lucky seats within lucky pubs. There are cursed friends' houses too, places where I've never seen City win on BT on a Tuesday night in February. We're never going back there, however many snacks are provided. Now I don't need to point out to you that none of my actions are having an effect on team results. You're probably intelligent and sensible enough to have already figured that out, unless you're one of those people that equates footballers' wages with those of nurses and soldiers. My match day routine was carried out prior to a home defeat to Crystal Palace, plus a defeat to Leicester City and Newcastle United. I had to ignore that and carry on with the same routine for no apparent reason. Of course, that was just due to me forgetting to do one of my superstitions, maybe, or perhaps a temporary glitch in the Matrix. And how did these superstitions originate? Where did they come from? I've absolutely no idea. At what precise moment did I decide that walking to the top of my road was helping my football team to win? They're just randomly made up without reason, and yet still I persist. I can't even link them to famous victories like many can do. And outside football, I'm devoid of such stupid rituals, apart from being unsettled by stepping on cracks in pavements. I even walked under a ladder once, and it's fair to say my life has been a spectacular success ever since. Footballers have superstitions too, which also will have little effect, but are more understandable. After all, at least footballers can influence the result, so if they believe in their superstitions, it can aid their performance perhaps, like some sort of placebo effect. David James' ritual involved not speaking to anyone, going to the urinals, waiting till they were empty, and spitting on the wall. Johan Cruyff used to slap his goalkeeper Gert Balls in the stomach while he was at Ajax, and then spit his chewing gum into the opposition's half before kick-off. When Cruyff once forgot his gum in the European Cup final in 1969, Ajax lost to Milan 4-1. The coach of the Zimbabwean side, Midlands Portland Cement, nice name by the way, sent his squad of 17 players into the crocodile-crowded Zambezi River in a ritual cleansing ceremony, intended to restore their harmony ahead of their next game. Sadly, only 16 of his players emerged minutes later, so probably best that he knocks that one on the head and will be transitioning to five-a-side football pretty soon. Anyway, a quick search shows that so many football superstitions revolve around urine, it's probably best that we move on. I'm not alone though, I know that. There should be support groups for us. There were those that thought that City tweeting about their long, undefeated run against Newcastle was somehow tempting fate. Maybe Rafa Benitez printed out the tweet and posted it on the wall of the home dressing room. Somehow I doubt it though. A quick Twitter poll reassured me that I'm not alone too. I say quick, it was anything of the sort. I had no idea what fellow fans were going through. Gaz Warrington turns his back on penalties, and if it's good enough for Pep, it's good enough for the rest of us to do that too. Listening to the charlatans, specifically the only one, is also compulsory, and watching Jimmy Grimble pre-Derby. Joanne Jackson calls at the same McDonald's with the same order on the way to the game. That's some sacrifice. Dan City 9 never predicts the score of a game, which I'm fully on board with. It pains me to do the same, though nowadays I consider it bad luck to predict a defeat, which thankfully with the current team is not much of a problem. Carl F must always enter the stadium before his dad and sit to his right. K. Smith has a morning brew in a City mug. The match day scarf is never washed mid-season, and City cannot be watched on holiday, which seems harsh. Having said that, when I was in Turkey last year, City put in two bang average performances against Everton and Bournemouth, so I apologise for watching them, but it all turned out okay in the end. 
and the list of superstitions from you all just kept on coming. I can't even list 10% of them, so apologies. Specific squirts of a specific aftershave, unknotting scarves before kick-off, not shaving pre-match, walking on certain sides of the road, lucky socks, lucky underpants, not washing lucky items of clothing, which must be fun for those sat around you, keeping feet in the same position as when a goal was scored, entering the ground in a specific order as a group, going to the same chippy and ordering the same thing, counting ducks on canals, drinking a specific energy drink pre-match, wearing plain socks, wearing patterned socks, eating scrambled eggs and toast, wearing the same jumper for 20 years, the jumper now possessing its own Twitter account, rubbing a sungy high footprint pre-match, wearing specific shirts, specific toilet routines, Walking up Peel Tower and knocking on the door 22 times, drinking only Old Speckled Hen, which is surely the ultimate sacrifice, and many, many more. You bunch of utter weirdos, welcome to the club. And the left turn style seems to have popped up with quite a few of you, and I've just realised that despite using the left turn style, I always head for the right urinal. Our group is even coming to score more goals when our mate goes to the toilet mid-half, and has a habit of missing a lot of goals. Hashtag early lever. And do City's owners even realise the effort we were putting in to make this team successful? I doubt it. I doubt Sheikh Mansour even has a lucky scarf, the amateur. When they do eventually erect statues for the likes of Sergio Aguero, David Silvermore, they should erect one for us too. The superstitious fans that powered this club to glory and kept them there. And when we're all gone, and that day will come, the baton will be handed over to future generations of weirdos to carry on the traditions. Using a specific hoverboard to get to the match, that sort of thing. So come on City, recognise us. We're not weird honest, we're just committed to the success of our football club. We've put in the hard yards, unknotted a thousand scarves, queued at a thousand left-sided turnstiles, and dressed to the right just for your benefit. A new City top would do us thanks, but not a third kit, I've heard they bring you bad luck. Hi, this is Kevin Hallock, and you are listening to the Blue Moon Podcast. You're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast. You've made it this far, so don't give up now. Howard Hawking there. Now, ask the panel time. Get in touch on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast. Send your questions in via email on uh, bluemoonpodcast.com as well. And you can also get us on our brand new Instagram page, Blue Moon Podcast, on there. Uh, first up is from Mark Kell on Twitter, who asks, What on earth is City doing giving Eliakim Mangala a contract extension? Yeah, to be honest. I was driving back from Bournemouth and I was like, oh, okay. And I've not looked into it since. I've, I don't know for a fact, but it's just got to be value. They can sell him. It's got to be transfer he fee, won't surely. Go, he won't go on a free. Yeah, they'll get a fee for him. Also, I wonder if like a bit of face saving might come into it because, you know, when uh, Tozin Adaraboyo's contract was up, there was, like, there was no way he was going to get into the first team set up under Pep. But they don't want a 19-year-old Manchester local academy product to leave on a free. So basically give him a four, 45 grand a week contract just to save face. And if, if Mangala goes, that would have been a bit of an opportunity for everyone to go, well, to be fair, they haven't done it recently, but it would have been a bit of a look at what City had, had been like, 42 million on a defender who never worked, hasn't played for years, leaving on a free. Isn't that embarrassing? So I wouldn't be surprised if there was a bit of that in it, but mainly it's just surely so they can get... A bit of resale. I, I have no idea how much. No idea how much. 10 million? You don't fancy him to be the answer to the uh, injury crisis at the back, do you, John? No. He was all right last <laughs> To be he fair, was all right he played when he in came, December, yeah. didn't he? And he, he was all right. But it was it was one of those where it was like, maybe they wouldn't have got 100 points if he'd have played any longer than, than those few games. <laughs> than necessary. Uh, Crunk Chocolate on Instagram asks, uh, how do you feel about next year's kits being made by Puma? Uh, 
Uh, oh, sorry, I don't really care. <laughs> I'd have thought you'd have been right on brand for you. I remember we did a Patreon a few I, a few months ago on kits, and you were. I thought you were. Quite... No, I like. I it, I don't care who makes them, um, as long as they they look all right. So right. I don't. So I don't have any strong feelings. Um, I used to. Uh, I used to wear Puma Kings all the time, so if that's anything to go by, I like Puma. But I don't, I don't, no, I don't really say, oh, Puma make the best kits or Nike make the best kits or whatever. I yeah, don't really the, have any strong feelings. If the feelings. kit's terrible, if it's like release and it's terrible, then maybe we're like, what are they doing there? But I don't know. It's not okay. going st- to stop on winning, is it? It seems like a, a good deal. It seems like the um, it, financially, City have, are making considerably more money than they were previously. So from that side of thing, it's a, it's a good deal. But in terms of, you know, choosing a kit manufacturer, no, I don't have any strong They might feelings. be even tighter than the Nike ones we've got to wear in the media game. I, I the player issue ones. Hold my breath. for the, I've never breathed in as much as in that game. They're notoriously tight, aren't they, the Puma ones? So we could be in trouble there. Yeah, I think I'll have a triple XL. Um We've got a question now for a bit of blue sky thinking time to to finish. Uh, Darren Watson on Twitter asks, in the light of the Fernandinho penalty at Schalke and the similar incident with Harry Kane, how can we simplify the offside law? Yeah, it's mad, isn't it? I saw a conversation um, between, I think it was Sam Wallace from The Independent and Alan Shearer, who had both spoken to the Referees Association about a, play, a player can be in an offside position and not but, be active and be fouled. That, they, that, they, is, that doesn't make sense. But they were having this discussion where one referee had told them that it was the right decision and one told them that it was the wrong... Well, uh, how can we have this situation where people just don't... There is no definitive answer even after it's been decided. How can, how can we not know what the rules are? It's absolutely... It's ridiculous, just... I mean, my, my the way I've always thought of it is that if if someone's offside and the ball's going towards them, they are offside. I mean, if, uh, if they're in a position to be fouled, then they're offside. Yeah, because you, if you foul somebody like on the other side of the box and they're in an offside position, I can kind of get that they were never going to be active, but you probably wouldn't give that foul if that makes sense. If you if you're being tugged in the box, but the ball was on the far side, you're not they're not going to give it, are they? It's very rare, isn't it? And I just think with VAR now, everything's everything's going to be offside. If you like, I hesitate to use a United example, but Lukaku's goal against Southampton on the weekend, can't remember which one, his knee is offside, and that would have been given as offside. As offside and far, it's like who's? I mean, this got for me. It's got to be, it's got to be like significant. And again, mm. it's subjective what significant is, but it's just I don't know everything's it's going to be like the handballs really it's just going to be well everything's going to be offside and it, you could you could be like a millimetre off I think it's happened in the FA Cup this season and it's just going to be like that feels harsh well it was the Wembley goal with um, with Aguero Watch yeah. it, watching mm-hmm. that in real time I thought oh he's a mile off yeah, and then when you watch it back on the video and it's only millimetres and you're kind of thinking well on the video, maybe that should have been overturned but yeah then, on the but video then, I thought that, yeah that would be it again that, that would be a goal you kind of feel well I'm not sure if what nobody, it's adding. To, if if adding nobody's to the complaining game. about it, is it like? Yeah, I mean, did I mean? I mean, maybe it, this this can often happen. But what happened? What happened to the old daylight rule? Did that get? Was that gotten rid that's, of? That's long gone. I but, think, yeah, no. But I mean, did that get rid? Was that gotten rid of because it was rubbish and it didn't work and it was just strikers getting a massive advantage? Or did people just tinker with it for no reason? Because if people tinkered with it for no reason, you could put it back. Because if you've got someone who's like leaning offside, it doesn't really make any difference. Like if their chest's offside. 
their legs, you know, they're still... They're not getting an advantage. They're not massively from, yeah. forward, are they? That, their chest isn't dragging them forward. It's still their legs. Maybe that sounds like the most well, ridiculous thing that's ever been said on, <laughs> on radio. But I, I just maybe maybe the, the daylight thing should come back. Maybe maybe it was gotten rid of. There was a lot of good examples for why it was terrible. But I don't remember why. And I think some. I think it should be obvious. I think there should be a big gap between them. And it should be like an obvious advantage. Because if your knee's offside or your, your head's offside or whatever, but you're scoring with your foot, Forget it. Ultimately, offside rule there is there to stop you from goal hanging. That's it's not it's not there to stop those yeah, kind of little yeah, exactly. things, is it? Well, someone suggested to me that it should be similar to the umpire's call in cricket, where there's a you know a bit of a bit of leniency for yeah, just a and slight. Also, that would actually encourage them to make a decision or the ref to make a decision Instead in the of first waiting. place. thing is, the linesman won't be able to because the linesman now, which is something Stephen Manaman hasn't grasped, despite the fact <laughs> it happened loads and about four times in the United game. But they just, obviously, they keep their flag down, even if they think he's offside there. The bloke will score, then they'll put it up, which I still maintain is going to lead to a shambles. Because usually, if a player runs through, everyone looks at the linesman. The flag stays down, the player scores, everyone's delighted. Now, no one's going to know whether to celebrate or not, because it's going to be checked. Not and only then there's that, no on-field he, ruling to stand if, he if doesn't, If one. he doesn't score, and then the game plays on, but then there's they win the ball back and then score, you don't go back and give that first offside. Yeah. From a, a few seconds earlier, you, you you have to kind of clear your lines at that point. Anyway, that's, I think that's a day. I think that's uh, well, that's scrap offsides, though. Our blue sky thinking that's how we solve the offside problem. No offsides. Uh, well, that's it for this week's Blue Moon podcast. And as ever, special thanks to my two guests in the studio, Goal.com's Sam Lee. Thank you very much. And ESPN's Jonathan Smith. Many thanks. I'm David Mooney. And if you'd like to hear more of us three babbling on about Manchester City, then there's a bonus show for all of our Patreon backers of $2 a month or more. This week's is all about City's scrappy goals. So if you uh, want to get that, head over to patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon podcast. Also, if you head over there, there are more details of our brand new tiers and rewards for next season, which also include the chance for you to be on one of those bonus shows. Go and check that out, and we'll be back next week to look ahead to the FA Cup tie with Swansea. We'll see you then. That was the Blue Moon Podcast. Please support the show. Patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast.